I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, welcome to The Legacy Tapes. I'm Rebecca Atkinson-Lord, and this is a series of conversations with artistic directors about how you can leave something lasting in an ephemeral medium. And I'm here at ARC in Stockton with the brilliant and wonderful Annabelle Turpin. Hello, Annabelle. Hello. So, Annabelle, we've just been chatting for 20 minutes before we started recording. And I asked you to tell me a little bit about how you got here. So can you tell me professionally, rather than through public transport, how you, how you made it to, to be the, the Artistic Director and Chief Exec at ARC in Stockton? Um, I suspect I'm probably quite unusual in that I've only ever worked in art centres mm-hmm. um, and I'm very passionate about art centres um, as, as organisations and as venues. Um, I left university, I had lots of events management experience um, from work I did as a student, I had a love of theatre from my school days that was never going to be a kind of professional option for me because... I am not a performer, um, so I kind of thought that was just something that I did on the side that I went to watch. Um, and then I got a job at Warwick Art Centre mm-hmm. um, as a, an assistant house manager. I learned my trade from, you know, yeah, doing that, that <laughs> kind of front of house stuff, which is a really lovely, lovely way to um, learn actually about audiences and, and art forms. And it was an amazing place to be because you had everything from international orchestras through to, you know... Nigel Charnock in the studio, you know, doing really cutting-edge work. Um, So it was an amazing way to just learn about performance in Mm. all its forms. And visual art as well, there was a gallery, but I'm not really big on visual art, so... Um, And then I was there for five years, and then I went to work in another art centre in Maidenhead, which was a brand-new venue. I was there about a year before it opened as deputy director and operations manager. So I kind of took what I'd learnt at Warwick and Mm -hmm. applied it to somewhere completely new where I got to shape how things worked operationally. Um, Started doing a little bit of programming, eventually became director there and then moved to ARC eight years ago. And thinking back eight years, what... Because I feel like this this city Mm -hmm. has changed a lot in those eight years. Like, when you arrived, what did you want... What were were your crusades? What did you want it to be? Um, I, I'm going to just go back and talk a little bit about being in Maidenhead. Um, okay. I loved being in Maidenhead. The venue was amazing. Mm. It was a beautiful building, um, really well conceived. Uh, we got to do some amazing things there. Um, but it was in Maidenhead, which is a very affluent, educated um, uh, area where the people have a sense of entitlement. There is no doubt that they are entitled to the best cultural edu- uh, entertainment going. Uh, right. And it would be great if it was on their doorstep, but frankly, if it wasn't, they've got the means to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And obviously there are people in here that can't do that, but that's the kind of majority. Mm. Um, and I got a bit sick of that, actually, because I felt like it was quite restrictive artistically. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew what they wanted, they wanted the best. They did take some risks, admittedly, but, you know, it was kind of limited. Um, 
So I came here where there was a challenge in the organisation because the organisation was failing and that was something I kind of, I wanted that challenge. Mm. Um, but there's a much bigger challenge of just the kind of the social need in a sense. Yeah. Um, it, Stockton is an incredibly deprived area. There are pockets of affluence. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some quite big differences and I think difference is interesting in itself. Yeah. Um, so, and there's not really many other people doing it. So yeah. it felt like it was a huge opportunity. Um, and it sounds really cheesy to say I wanted to make a difference, but I felt like Stockton was somewhere where I could work in an organisation that made a difference. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Maidenhead, I loved the organisation and people had a good time, but it didn't feel like it was really making the impact that I wanted it to yeah. make. That makes sense, because if you're spoiled for cultural provision, yeah. then any one experience isn't necessarily going to leave you changed. No. But if it's the one thing you see in yeah. your school life or in a year, yeah. you'll treasure it in a different way. Yeah. The impact is massive, I think. So that's why that's what I was excited about when I came here. And I arrived at the point that we were sliding into a session. Mm-hmm. So there was a bit of a depressing period where some of the things that looked like they might have happened around Ark in the town, you know, derelict buildings, um, where there was just like the potential for them to regenerate mm-hmm. kind of got stuck on hold a little bit. Yeah. Um, but actually, we had a whole load of stuff to sort out here, so that was kind of <laughs> fine. And then, as the towns emerged from from that, and you know, we're by no means out of the recession, but I think people got their act together, and we're very, very lucky here. We have an, a very well-run, forward-thinking local authority, mm. and they decided to invest to survive and thrive rather than you know just sort of manage decline. Um, so the whole town centre has been regenerated. Twenty million pounds has been spent on it. Um, they've done lots of work to line up other areas around the town centre. Mm. There's lots of new housing developments and things going on. And it feels like we've played our part in that regeneration. Yeah. And as we've kind of grown up and developed who we are and what we do and who we work with, mm. we've kind of been part of that bigger change. So. Um, when I arrived, that's kind of what I wanted to see, and it was probably a little bit further off than I hoped. Yeah. But that's why I'm still here. I'm, you know, eight years on, there's yeah. still loads to do, but we're starting to reap the benefits of the work that we've done. Okay. And so it's interesting in that I think you're the first person I've spoken to that's been like, I came and it was a failing organisation. Um, because that, I think, the transformation from failing to even just survival, but failing to thriving, which is what yeah. ARC is is phenomenal um i i just i mean this is a little bit of a detour but i just for you what what is why was it failing are you allowed to tell me that what is a failing organization okay um i think it was failing on many levels mm-hmm. uh fundamentally it was failing financially mm-hmm. and you know it's if it's failing financially it's failing on other levels so that's the one that everyone focuses on and that's the kind of the big indicator mm. so the year before I arrived it lost something like the turnover was under a million at the time mm-hmm. um, and it had lost 170,000 in one year so you know it was fundamentally failing on, on many levels <laughs> for the, the kind of financial yeah. impact to be that bad yeah. so it soaked up all its reserves it was you know we were left mm. with a, a kind of unrestricted deficit which we've eventually cleared um, where it was really failing I think is it was very inward looking mm-hmm. 
um, I think it's very common to new organisations, new buildings. Mm. You get given this lovely shiny new building. Um, you're running around trying to find all the light switches. Um, your job is to get people into the building. So you sit in the building and you try and get people in. Mm. And I'd been through that in Maidenhead. Um, mm. And we'd done exactly the same thing. And then I'd kind of worked out that to get people in the building, you had to go out of the building. Yeah. Which doesn't mean, it's, it's not as obvious as, oh, just do loads of outreach work. It means physically going out of the building and talking to people yeah. and inviting them to come in. Yeah. And, and taking them by the hand exactly, and pulling them behind you. Exactly. So I could be very inward looking and mm. it failed, I think, to really engage in any kind of partnership or club, kind of collaborative mm. work. Um, it's forgotten who, it, it didn't really know what it was. Mm. So... When I came here, I talked to lots of staff and no one really knew what ARC was. There wasn't a kind of clear vision for it, which sounds really obvious, but as I said at the time, if we don't understand what we are, how on earth do we expect anyone outside the organisation yeah. to know what we are? So I think it just, yeah, that's how it failed, really. It lost sight of what it was there to do, who it was, who it was for. It wasn't engaging other people, mm. and hence it was a bit of a spiral of decline. So when you when you turned up mm-hmm. and you opened the, the the Pandora's box of doom, yeah. <laughs> and you realised how you know how yeah. bad stuff was, which is yeah. always the way it is in any new job. You're like, oh Christ, this is the truth. Yeah, um, I think I'd done that before I got here. Okay. I did. I was in a position of knowing what I was coming to. Okay. Because I had probed quite a lot beforehand. Good. Yes. But yeah, there certainly was a box of doom. It's fair to say it was already open when I got here. <laughs> yeah, vomiting its contents at you. Yes. Um, okay, so what um, what were your priorities? Because I'm always curious, because it seems like there are different kinds of artistic leaders. There are yeah. the ones that are like, we're going to survive today and tomorrow, mm-hmm. and eventually the period we're surviving will get longer, but it's about survival yeah. in the moment. Yeah. And then there are the people who are like, I am shooting for my legacy now from yeah. day one and I'm just really curious how you yeah. approached it because just, just in yeah. terms of the, the stresses of that situation I would say it was probably more of the first I, if, if that's a spectrum <laughs> I was probably closer to the let's survive today and tomorrow and then next week and then one yeah. so I remember in my first few weeks um, I wrote a business plan for the first six months mm-hmm. to get us through to the end of March actually slightly more than six months that was like the first thing I did because I got here and I was like there's no plan <laughs> we've heard that recently um, <laughs> there's no plan there's no budget you know what, how, I can't manage without those tools so yeah. it was a very simple what are we going to do between now and the end of March mm-hmm. what is realistic to do mm-hmm. you know where are we going to get our money from and how are we going to not spend it was kind of the so it was much more of a step by step process and then I kind of often talk about the first two or three years as being a bit of a sticking plaster, um, certainly in terms of the artistic programme. Mm. Um, it was a pretty standard art centre programme, a, a bit of everything, good quality, nothing that's going to kind of set the world alight yeah. artistically, but kind of solid programme. Mm-hmm. And I, I brought that with me, that was kind of the, yeah. you know, sort of what I'd learned. Solid and inoffensive? Yeah, that's, that's a good word. Solid and offensive. Now we're quite offensive with some of our <laughs> programming, I like to think. Um, but we needed to do that because we needed to kind of work out what what was going to work and what wasn't. And I needed to find out, and I don't think I knew how long this would take. I needed to find out what was needed. Mm. Like, what do people want? What 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 is the... Yeah. What's the hole in this community yeah. that needs to be filled? Exactly. And it probably took three years to work that out. Mm. Um, and that was a process of getting to know the Tees Valley, the kind of sub-region we're in, and the wider region. Um, 
sort of understanding the culture. I was completely new here, I'd never been before. So there was a lot of just understanding the culture, people's motivations, people's lives, how they shopped, what they, you know, what they did and didn't see, just a lot of listening really. And it, and you kind of absorb that. It'd be mm. very hard to write down how I did that. Yeah, because that's my next question yeah. is how did you how did you get people to talk about stuff that you needed to listen to? You have to sort of live with them, mm. I suppose. Um so I was quite lucky. I did, the, I did one of the Common Purpose programs, and lots of people have used about Common Purpose. Um, but what it did for me is it got me into lots and lots of different organisations around the Tees Valley mm-hmm. um, to meet people in other sectors, mm-hmm. and that was really useful. So in both public and private sectors, to just talk to people that live and work in the Tees Valley, most of them are from from the northeast, or certainly have been here years because people do arrive and tend not to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually really useful because uh, it, it was an opportunity to talk to people that weren't involved in the organisation, actually. Yeah. Um, so how else did I do it? And what did... So, because one of the things I remember when... I remember starting at Oval House mm. and Rachel, my co-director, saying to me, we've got six months before we forget what this looks like from the outside. Yeah. So we need, like, we need to know what we're doing now, like yeah. make that plan now. Um, what did it look like from the outside to people in this community then? It looked like a, an amazing building, mm. but no one really knew what it was for. Okay. I think that's the thing. It's, mm. It is an amazing building, and it's what it, mm. at the time it was one of the newest, one of the smartest, big glass fronted, typical. It's amazing, it's like being outside in that yeah. bar. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it really yeah. is. But no one really knew what it was for, mm. and by no one I include people that. Organisation <laughs> as well as people outside. That's how people saw it. But the really lovely thing, and um, I used to talk about this a lot, and I've kind of forgotten I've been here so long, is that when I arrived, I was an outsider, um, and the headline in the local paper was "A woman has been appointed to run it up," <laughs> which I kept. I kind of grew, and someone actually sent it to me. It, it, my, my appointment was obviously announced before I got here. And the marketing manager here at the time kind of sent it to me in advance. And I was like, hmm, I'm getting a feel for this place I'm about to move <laughs> to. Yeah, woman. Um, but so I wasn't outside, I did come. And ARC had had a, a difficult time. Obviously, it opened, it closed again in the um, sort of around the year 2000. Mm. And then we opened, it sort of done okay, and then obviously got into trouble again. Mm. So I really expected to be met with a come on then, make it work, you southerner, you know, um, think <laughs> yeah. you can come up here and run our venue for us kind of thing. Yeah. And I didn't get that at all. I just was greeted with a, from people that had engaged with it mm. or had some kind of cultural engagement, there was just a real sense of, please make it work for us. Please, we really mm. want it to work. We've built this amazing building and it's empty and we just want it to work. And that was unexpected. Yeah. Um, and of course, that's you know what the northeast is famous for now—that kind of welcome and that yeah. warmth and that friendliness and that openness. But it really was true. Mm. So I didn't come up against negativity. I just came up against a desire to make it work, mm. um, which was you know a bit of pressure at the time, but that's fine. Yeah, it focuses the mind. Yeah, yeah. It does. So so now eight years on. Mm. I mean, I'm hoping you're not living day to day anymore. No, I'm <laughs> no, pretty no, sure you're much not. Much longer plan. And um, what, like, do you have, do you have a, a long term idea of what you want to leave behind you here in this job? Yeah. Um, and then I think in a minute I'm going to ask you about that across your lifetime. Yeah. Okay. In this job. Yes. 
I want to leave a really strong organisation of people. Mm. It's the people that make it happen. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really matter. In 10, 20, 30 years' time, Mm. it doesn't really matter whether the building's still here. Mm-hmm. but the organisation needs to be right. and I've always been very careful to describe ARC as an organisation that works from its building because I think what we do is more important than where we do it mm-hmm. and I think the way it's a beautiful building and I love it and I'm very much a buildings person mm-hmm. but the way that people consume art and culture is changing yeah. and will continue to change so I never want to get too hooked up with the we've got to have people in here sitting in seats mm. And I've also seen how that fails, you know, in where I worked in Maidenhead, that whole inward looking, we've got to get people into the building. Mm. Actually, have we? Have we got to get them in? What what are we trying to do? We're trying to enable people to, you know, experience culture in whatever way is right for them. Mm. So maybe we just need to have a word with ourselves. Maybe what's right for them isn't this building. Exactly. And... This building is lots of things to lots of people and the reason I'm passionate about art centres as against some single art form organisations is that you can be a lot more flexible with how people are experiencing culture mm. and you can offer lots of different experiences and probably, you know, very few people come and sit in seats in the dark mm. in this building um, and, and certainly not in, you know, rows of seats in the dark. <laughs> then we had a whole season where all the theatre in the theatre happened on the stage. So, you know, we might as well have just got rid of the seats. So we can play around with those things a fair amount. Mm. But even then we need to recognise that we're still a building. And we're still a building that, for some people, belongs to other people. Mm-hmm. So what I hope to leave behind is a cultural organisation that continues to enable lots and lots of different people to experience culture Mm. but that might not necessarily be in the building that's interesting because I think one of the things that I feel like I shout a lot about whenever someone gives me the opportunity to do so is that is that we, as a, I think as an ecology, we quite often overlook the value of a human structure in favour of a physical structure and really physical structures should be built to fall down because they're going to yes, they are um, and it's the human structures yeah. that that will perpetuate any yeah. kind of yeah culture or, yeah. or values or yeah. ethos. And I think there's an interesting thing going on at the moment about investing in artists, mm. and we want to invest more in artists. We want to pay artists properly. We're working really hard to try and fulfil that commitment. Mm. But I think we're doing that slightly at the detriment of investing in talent development across the whole spectrum mm-hmm. um, of kind of cultural delivery. And I think it's just something, there's a dialogue going on in my head at the moment around that. Right, unpick that for me a little bit. Um, I suppose there's, there's been such a backlash against artists not being paid properly. Mm. Absolutely right. You yes. know, I'm fully signed up. Yes, don't, don't send letters. No, please don't. <laughs> um, as I say, and we are rethinking some of the things that we do to enable us to pay artists mm. better. Um, even if that maybe means less artists, but we pay them properly. Mm-hmm. I think that's a better way to go than paying everyone, you know, not enough. Um, but we've done so much work around talent Development, use the Arts Council language, around artists, mm-hmm. I think we've perhaps been forgetting that we need to invest in people that are going to do my job in the future. Yeah. And, uh, you know, lots of people complain about the size of marketing departments and organisations. Yeah. 
but someone has to get the audience. I don't think marketing departments are necessarily the answer. Mm. I think that we have to work out whole new ways of engaging with people. Yeah, and we're not training, like, whatever marketing is in the future. Yes. We're not, I mean, we're not training people for now, never no, mind for the no, future. we're not. And actually, organisation to organisation, I spend a lot of time in organisations across the country, and in almost everyone, it's the marketing department that that gets kicked or that yeah. gets moaned about or that yeah. and that I think that's yeah you're right that's something that has to be figured out yeah and I suppose those challenges are highlighted somewhere like Stockton um, recruitment is one of our biggest challenges mm. and we're lucky that we have great staff here and we've worked really hard to get them and we've mm. worked really hard to grow them because the cultural infrastructure in, in Stockton the Tees Valley is so tiny if you want an arts marketing manager, well, there's one in the Tees Valley. <laughs> she works here. There's, there's one at Beamer, maybe. There might be two. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? It's very, very hard to to find people that have the experience. So that lack of investment in developing skills across technicians. Again, we you know we have challenges to, um, uh, recruiting technicians. We, we're growing our own, and that needs to be a much bigger part of our, our work going forwards. Mm-hmm. And actually, especially in terms of marketing and audience development, I mean, they don't need to be people from here, but it really helps. Yeah. Because then they're speaking in the vernacular of, of the place. Yeah. Um, and in a way, they should be, because we want, to, we want more people to have the opportunity to work in the arts. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that feels really important. Um, and you can talk about diversity in, in all its, you know, in the, in the broader sense in all these different ways. And we feel we have a really important part to play in diversifying who works in the arts, who gets to perform on our stages, because we're from a, a different place. You know, we're not from a place that traditionally has produced work or produced people that work in the arts. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because there is such a there's such a proud history of artistic engagement in this in this region and yeah. ac- and across the northeast and the northwest generally. Mm-hmm. Um, all, you know, all of the all of the industrial revolution towns. Why, why, sh- why is it a place that is that that, that hasn't mm-hmm. produced? Uh, I want to say professional, but then I want to kick myself for using that word. Sure, let's use yeah. whatever that word means. Yeah. Uh, because people haven't been valued because people don't think they can because they haven't been valued because they've been measured by other people's standards mm. there's a really interesting thing where um, we're working with some venues across the North East uh, on a strategic touring project mm-hmm. um, and it's been really interesting to talk to those venues who are doing amazing work in their communities who are so in touch with their audiences because they meet them and talk to them and listen to them and serve them and um, that they, at the beginning of the project, it was really noticeable that people felt like that was a bad thing because they operated in that way and other organisations, and I'm trying not to name, but, you know, more traditional organisations, let's name them like Northern Stage and Live, mm. are seen as the grown-ups, they're seen as the proper theatres. Yeah. So unless you're behaving like those proper theatres. And art centres suffer in exactly the same way. I think art centres are coming into their um, their prime at the moment. Mm. And I think now is the time to be an art centre is, yeah. is one of my favourite phrases. Um, but there is a sense that 
theatres and, and galleries, as I say, single art form venues are proper grown-up venues and mm-hmm. everyone else is a bit of a poor relation. So there hasn't been the value put on those venues. Because of the status. Because, because those, of the status. Yes, yeah, they, they, those organisations in that mould exist on... Um, yeah, the, the division of audience and artist, and this kind of the stratification yeah. of who has the right to curate culture yeah. and the critical acclaim. Yeah. You know, they are in pursuit of critical acclaim in a way that we're not actually. Uh, you know, we, mm. we have a, a different ethos and a different. It's not a criticism. Mm. There is a place for that in the ecology, mm. but it's just interesting that we're constantly, if we're not careful, we're constantly measuring ourselves against those organisations. Yeah. Which is devaluing other other yeah. Have you so someone sent me a, a, a gif the other day on Facebook because I'd been moaning about my I don't know massive ass probably, and mm. um, and it was a picture of a rhino running on a treadmill looking at a picture of a unicorn <laughs> as, as, as yeah. the inspiration yeah um, and it's just measuring something against something that it yeah. that it isn't yeah. and actually these spaces are so like oh you know art centres are so much more democratic and I feel like that's the thing that you know when I'm listening or speaking at a conference and, and, there, yeah. and there are big buildings that are worried about diversity and audience engagement and, and the answer that you want to club them to death with is your spaces aren't democratic it isn't a place that people own no. and art really is Yeah, and that we're trying to make it place that, that kind of people own and every now and again you have one of those conversations that makes you think oh we're nearly there mm. someone said this you know um I was talking to someone the other day from one of our classes who was saying how she'd seen someone come for the first time and she'd gone over and said oh you know come and join us this is what we normally do we normally leave our shoes there and we do this and we order our coffee in mm. advance and I was kind of like that's brilliant because any one of our staff can do that but the fact that one of the participants is doing that for someone else kind of shows that she has real ownership yeah. over that particular time and place, you know. And that's one of those moments where you go, yeah, that's what we want. We want people like you to, to own this and yeah. you are doing. And yeah. then other days you just want to bang your head against the wall because it's not working. <laughs> so they're not all like that. But that's it. They have that ownership over, the, over that space. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to go back to the question mm-hmm. that I posed forever ago now. So, so what? Uh, so you get, you leave you want to leave Ark with a with a, a healthy human structure, yeah. in short. So in you know a hundred years mm-hmm. when Annabel Turpin is no more, and we are writing the history of British royal culture, yeah. what what do you want your lifetime legacy to have been? Mm. How hilarious to even imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's quite funny. I mean, I mean let, let's, Im- let's imagine yeah. that, that it's a, a really exhausting. Yes, you know, yeah. I'm, we're all in it. Everyone's in it. In it. That's, that's more comfortable. I'm certainly more comfortable <laughs> now. Um, oh, there's so much. And so little in some ways. I want to have changed something. Mm. Maybe it's, I mean, I haven't done it yet. So this, this, I might be future looking in terms of what I've got okay. left to do. It's totally cool. Um, I want, it is about that democracy, I think. Mm. I want to have really made inroads into challenging um, those structures that prevent that more democratic view. Mm-hmm. We've got to challenge how we measure things mm-hmm. and the value. I think value is something that's really uppermost. So I suppose I'd like people to look back and see the work that we do at ARC and perhaps 
as we start to stretch out and do different things and influence maybe how other people behave, that we've we've somehow challenged that a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's not a very concrete answer, is it? No, but I think that's probably all right. Is it? Yeah, you want to leave the world changed. Yeah. I'm going to make an assumption for the better. <laughs> yes. For the worse. Yeah, yes, definitely, definitely. I mean, it is, it's about more people being able to make a choice to hmm. have culture as part of their lives. You know, that sounds very grand, but... Um, and I'm, I'm using culture in it. Because everyone has culture. Yeah, Telling is culture. It is. Pop yeah. music is culture. It is. Sorry. I just... And I sort of mean that, in a way. Mm. Because I think if we talk about... As soon as we say theatre, mm. then what people imagine is people sat in seats in the dark watching a show that Wearing has two acts in an interval in their smart clothes. Yeah. Um, you know, that isn't the kind of theatre I'm talking about. If I said theatre and I thought that you were immediately imagining that massive outdoor street art show that took place in Stockton Town Centre last year that, you know, 2,000 people watched, mm. then I'd probably use the word theatre. Okay. But because I'm very aware that as soon as you say theatre, people think of a certain thing, mm. and they definitely don't think about the work that happens in art centres. Yeah. You know, it's got to be in a theatre with a curtain. Um, I'm avoiding using the word theatre. Okay. I suppose I mean... And, and I do mean it in the broadest sense... I do want people to have access to pop music and TV and, you know, they're rich sources of... Um, good TV. Yeah. Good TV, Changes yeah. the world. Really it really quickly. does. So we shouldn't... Yeah, we shouldn't be snobby about that, I don't think. Mm. Good. Okay. Leave the world changed. Yeah, um, but it's very vague. It, I mean, you can be more specific okay. if you want. It's entirely your call, but you don't have to be. No. I'm not... Like, I'm not evaluating this on points. <laughs> I suppose it's, it's something like, I should have thought this out before, a more democratic consumption of culture. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite a big thing for us, is just enabling anyone and everyone to have that choice. Can I change a word in that? Yes. I mean, obviously, this is your legacy yeah. that I'm now... <laughs> no, no, help. I need all the help I can get. Um, because I... Recently, I've been struggling with the word consumption because yes, I'm sick of being a consumer. Yeah. So maybe there's something about democratic interaction yeah. or... Experience. Experience. Yeah. Or a play. I want culture to be experienced more democratically. Enjoyed. Enjoyed. We have God forbid we enjoy it. Okay. Enjoyed. Yeah. So, so I want a more democratic enjoyment of culture. Okay, that's a legacy. That's a Is great that a legacy. legacy. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that ties awesome. into some of the things we're doing. You know, the whole pay what you decide, the way that we're working with yeah local groups and things. It is about trying to enable anyone to to be able to make that choice. Yeah. Okay. So not everyone. Anyone. And ah. Ooh, yes. Yeah. I don't think we should be hitting people over the head saying you must yeah. enjoy Because arts. I think that makes people not want to come. As soon as you should do something. Of course. Ugh. But we do that all the time. Like, I quite liked broccoli until someone told me I should eat it, and now Puts I never know. off. Yeah, really yeah. Um So it's anyone, not everyone. That's, yeah, that's a really important distinction that I hadn't thought about. Mm. Okay, so you mentioned pay what you can, mm-hmm. and that I feel like that's been one of your massive, like, activist successes. Yeah, uh, the past couple of years. Do you t- tell me a bit about that? Um. Well, uh, 
we'd been doing a lot of talking about pricing mm. and been trying to think of different ways of pricing things to make it more accessible. We felt too charitable, I think, you know, bestowing offers and discounts and free tickets on people mm. that risk devaluing things yeah. and risk being quite patronising. Yeah. Um, we've been playing around with the idea of asking people to pay afterwards because we're like, well, you pay for a meal after you've had it. Mm pay for your haircut after you've had it, you know. But we are insistent on people paying in advance. Because <laughs> might not come. Well, but you know, yeah. it just felt You're completely right, at yeah. odds with kind of behaviour. Um, so we looked at what Slung Low were doing, and I'm always very mm. clear to credit Slung Low, it was pay what you decide was not my idea. Um, yeah, Alan we, and Paul, my badass. <laughs> we borrowed it from them, um, with their blessing, hopefully. Uh, and we were going to try it for a week. Mm. So, and it was all quite last minute, we'd booked the whole of the spring season and this was kind of November. And we were trying to find a week where we could do everything on a pay what you decide basis. Mm. Um, and every week we looked at, had some event in it, it was like, oh, the promoter won't swallow that, or, you know, well, actually, that one's already on sale. And, and then I was like, hang on a second, this is about removing the risk of going to see things mm. that you're not sure about. Mm. Um, so why would we do pay what you decide on Mark Watson? Or um, you know uh, Jason Cook, or or uh, you know a, a band that people have been listening to at home for yeah. years. It just doesn't make sense. Mm. Where we really want to employ this, it's the stuff where they don't know. It's the stuff where they don't know because that's what we're responding to. We'd ask people why they didn't come, and mm. they said because we don't know the people in it. Yeah, and I was like, ah, oh, okay. So lots of the work we've done had obviously been about trying to introduce artists and companies before we were mm. asking people to make that commitment. Um, so I was like, let's just do it on the theatre programme. Let's do it on the whole theatre programme. Um, and I'd got a very upfit marketing manager at the time, and she was like, okay, let's do it. So we just did it on the entire theatre programme for six months. And we're very honest in saying, this is a trial. If it fails, we'll tell you. <laughs> don't get excited. Yeah. And we were kind of... We would try it rather... I don't know, maybe this is a bit arrogant, but we were trying to assume a position of, look, everyone's really interested in how this is working... Um, but a bit scared so we're going to try it on behalf of everyone else <laughs> so if it doesn't work you'll all be really grateful that we've tried yeah, it yeah we'll take one for the team yeah. but you're, kind of, you're yeah. all going to send us 10 quid to our crowdfunder okay exactly yeah. we might need to bail out with the ends yeah. um, it was a very measured risk actually and I won't go into all the ways that it was mm. but it was a very measured risk um, I never thought it would be as successful as it has been mm. it has been phenomenally successful for us so tell tell the, our listener oh, some of the stats oh the stats um, oh come on you've got to have them in your head way up I was trying to quote them last week um, audiences are way up mm-hmm. incomes up average ticket yields up but the kind of the most exciting thing actually is not the stats it's mm. the people that are coming mm-hmm. um, and there is something beautifully democratic that's going to be the word of the day um, when you sit in the audience and you see people coming in that, quite honestly, we would have given free tickets to or we would have given discounts to mm. to get them through the door, but we don't have to anymore. They can come on their own terms. Mm. So the very first night that we ran it, um, a group of about 10 people came in and sat down. And during the show, I became aware that um, most of them were learning disabled. Mm. And I was like, that's amazing. 
they, they've just come. I don't know who they are. They've, they've this is come not some kind of organised group. group. No, exactly. What's happened? And it turns out they're part of a social group. Mm. Um, and because the organiser would see what you decide, she'd kind of gone, oh, that enables me to make it affordable for them. Mm. So she talked to them all. And they'd all agreed they'd put £5 in each, which they duly did at the end, which, you know, she, she sorted out. Now, if she'd come to us, of course we'd have said, you can have £5 tickets, because mm. we're really keen to reach out to that audience. Yeah. But the fact we didn't have to, the fact they could just come on their own terms, is amazing. Because, again, it changes that power structure. Of course because it Because it, it puts, it puts the, the, per, the, the audience, yeah. the person in, in the situation of power where they are choosing to be here. They're not being cajoled or coerced mm. or patronised or bullied. Or... And they're not being told they should be here. Mm. That's the other thing. Yeah. It goes back to that thing of it's not good for you. It's something you might enjoy coming to. Yeah. And we'd like to invite you to come. It's kind of, we love it. It's kind yeah. of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing that it, it is a great message to send out that you've never heard of these people and you've never heard of this show, but we are so confident that you're going to enjoy it that we're not going to ask you to pay till afterwards. And if you don't like it, you don't have to pay. Mm. And there's kind of a confidence to that. People go, oh, right. Well, it must be good then. Yeah. You know? What's the worst um, that can happen? So I, I am a pay what you decide for. I absolutely love it. It has been amazing for us. Mm. Um, it's not a model for everyone. And I think it's really important to be clear about that. Mm. It is a, it's an audience development tool. Um, it is about diversifying your audiences. But it's particularly appropriate for getting people into new work. Mm. It is for unfamiliar work. If yeah. you're doing something that is really familiar to people then it's probably not the right model because yeah, people are going to come anyway. If they're going to pay 40 quid, yeah. let them pay 40 quid. Yeah, although different people might come if you mm. do pay what you decide. But that's for you and your conscience <laughs> <laughs> to work out who you want to come to I'll your add it to the list of things my conscience has to worry yeah. about. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? Different yeah. people will yeah. come. Um, I was talking to some, some theatres the other day and it's interesting to hear how some people are just going, wow, yes, that's very successful and how much more money did you make? And other theatres were kind of... And these were American theatres, mostly. Mm. And other theatres were saying, we're really desperate to get people in from our local community. Mm. You know, we want to use this as a way of reaching out to those people, of making it accessible to them, but in what is quite a non-patronising way. In Mm. fact, quite the opposite. You're saying, I value your opinion. I'm trusting you to to make your own judgement about this. I'm not telling you what it's worth to you. That's for you to decide. And there's some kind of respect there. It's all subliminal, but and there's I really a reciprocity it. to it as well. Yeah. In that I, I trust you to, I trust you to be fair in how you value this, yeah. and you trust me to be honest in how yeah. I present it, and and in that I that I value it. Yeah. yeah. That's really. It's a beautiful cool. model. I mean, I wish I could claim credit for it. Really, <laughs> it, it is a beautiful model. Yeah. Um, and as I say, for the right things in the right places, it's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so there's a little bit of legacy there, maybe. That's, I mean, that's <laughs> that, that that's a big step towards uh, yeah. dem- democratizing enjoyment of culture, yes, isn't it? It is. Um, uh, what was my question? My question was: Do you? Um, so it, it's probably two linked questions. Mm-hmm. In that, um, I think I make. I think I do what I do mm-hmm. because I want to change the world. Yep. And I want and and I am probably a complete narcissist and I believe that if I can just talk to enough people mm-hmm. they'll believe me <laughs> about yep. stuff. Yeah. Um do you think 
arts, the arts, theatre and the arts can change the world? Oh, yes. Of course. Good. Tell me how, because some people don't. Okay. By helping people see the world through different eyes, Mm -hmm. to understand how other people think and feel and... um, it's about empathy, I suppose. The, the kind of bottom line is, if you're only one person, you're only looking at the world through one set of eyes, through one set of circumstances. Mm. Whereas any kind of cultural experience pretty much presents you with a perspective from someone else. Mm. So I always used to have this argument with my partner about reading. So I read a lot and I read fiction. I can't yeah. bear non-fiction. He reads non-fiction all the time. Yeah. And he was like, but it's all made up. And I was going, but I learned so much from it. Just because it's made up doesn't mean that you don't learn from it. And also, just, just to be a pretentious wanker for a moment, everything about how we understand the world is made up. It's I just know. what we decide to is the logical thing. Yeah, exactly. every, every story we tell about ourselves is yeah. a story. Sorry, yeah. no. I just need to have my little. Yes, you read boring stories. I read interesting <laughs> ones. Yeah. yeah, I read really enjoyable ones. Yeah. Um, so for me, it yeah, that's how it can change the world because it can make people see the world from someone else's perspective, yeah. and it can help them understand how other people think and feel and. Yeah, mm. is that enough? Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, that, I nice. mean, I think that's how we can change the yeah. world. I think, I think, I think that, and I think also art, art. I worry about that word, but let's use it. I use art. the word culture, but art. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was because my dad is an artist, mm. and he is a potter, and he would never describe himself as an artist no, because that's like othering himself he does he makes stuff so I I have somehow a distrust of that but anyway I'll get over it Um, I feel like art really immediately alleviates the fucking awfulness of being human yes (laughs) you know or or, or even if it's not being fucking awful being a human just now it makes it nicer yeah like it really like like immediately transforms the experience of existing in the world yeah quite quickly and then you think, and then you think, and then you can go out and transform other people's existence because you are empathetic with them. Yeah. Well, so. there is a beauty to it. Like, mm-hmm. whatever you create, and even the show, you know, a performance about the ugliest of, of um, things uh, to the most beautiful piece of visual. Like, there is a beauty to that, isn't mm. there? There has to be. Yeah. That's what we do it for. Yeah. We're trying to present something that has some form of, of beauty. Yeah. And there's a beauty to the to the act of understanding and unpicking. Because I think I think that maybe that's why culture's so special just now, because we don't like to acknowledge the value of intricacy and complexity. And and, and what what art does is it gives you this thing and it looks beautiful and simple and easy, but the act of it existing is so intricate. Mm. It is. There's a lot about understanding. I think about developing that understanding for for others mm-hmm. in in all the senses yeah. of other and others. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what else we do. <laughs> I mean, you're going to change the world, like, yeah. 
I don't have any other means to change the world. Yeah. I so so the thing that the thing that I mean, you know people people quite often you work in the arts you've had people I'm sure you've had people saying you know get a proper job or yeah. whatever yeah. Um, and, I, and just recently I've been thinking a lot about about what my answer to that is because I gave up a salary job recently yeah. And, now, yeah, of course. and now I have to justify mm-hmm. what I'm doing every day in a way I didn't before um, and I think my I mean this is really about me but let's mm-hmm. screw it I'm a narcissist um, I think Everything we are as human beings exists and is defined by the stories we tell as human mm-hmm. beings. Why would you not want to be a storyteller? Yeah. That's the most powerful position yeah. in a society, is the person that spins the fabric of yeah. the society. Um, so that could, yeah, so that, I'm just sort of rephrasing that. That's a lovely really. answer, actually. That's a really nice answer. Because you can, like, you really are changing yeah. the world. You just go, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna weave this bit differently. Yeah. And Why look. would you not want to do that? Why would you not want to do that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a nice answer. I'll remember that one. Thanks. You can, you can take that. Yeah. I'll have forgotten it by next okay. week, and I'll just I'm rage at people. I'll be like, because it's important. Leave yeah. me alone. Um, I'm not sure how long I've been talking for. Probably a while. Um, tell me. Tell me what's what's next, for, like for you, for Ark, for like, mm. what's the yeah. Well, I think I've still got quite a lot to do here, mm. and as anyone who's been in the same job for eight years um, probably knows, you go through periods of thinking, oh, "I've got to get out, <laughs> I've got to leave." I've been here this long. Yeah. Um, yes. But I think one of the things that I've really learned and. Um, really enjoying is that sense of what you can achieve through longevity Mm. and there's things that I already have done and hopefully will continue and go on to do that I couldn't do if I'd only been here three years yeah and it is about that people thing Mm. so I've built what I hope is a really strong organization of people and I'm not just talking about people that work at ARC but people across across the country, across the world, may I say, even with some of the newest contacts. But do you know what I mean? People that I'm in touch with that in some way, shape or form either affect what I do here or perhaps in some tiny way I might affect what they do there. So that network of people and contacts and relationships and trust enables you to do things that as soon as you move, you're kind of back to square one yeah. or maybe square two because you take a little bit with you. Yeah. Um, and you have just, to renegotiate it you all. do yeah. and re-establish yourself and, and as I say it took me three years at least to understand like what what the gap was here so it's yeah. like having understood that and just started to, to mm. kind of work on it it's a, it's a long term game mm. um, so I think there is still plenty here to do uh, and I'm interested in that change in the way that people enjoy culture mm-hmm. um, I want to be part of that I don't want to be stuck in a building going, oh my God, people are seeing it on the streets, we've got to get them into seats. <laughs> I want to be part of that and I want to drive that, which potentially means I've got to drive change as a building-based organisation. Mm. And that's a really exciting challenge. Mm. One day we might lock the doors. I mean, how amazing would that be? To you know, <laughs> I'm sure that's many decades off, but there might come a time where we go, do you know what, it's actually right for us to move out of an organisation. Mm. 
And in a way, I think it'd be more interesting to do that from within an organisation than just wait until you have to move and go to a non-building based organisation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I'm quite interested in overseeing that change. I'm not saying I'm going to be here for like 13 or 30 years or whatever, but... It's so part of what we're just thinking about in the more sort of medium term, I suppose, kind of next 10 to 15 years, is what our delivery looks like. You mm. know, what do we deliver here and what do we deliver elsewhere? Mm. Um, and how do those two have a relationship and I feel like the future is in the public square it's got to be it's got to be um, in some way or another yeah so if we're delivering more out there out there being in every way shape or form digitally we mm. live all the rest of it what do we use the building for is this where we make mm. it do we make more here people need spaces to yeah. make things in I think I feel like Spaces to make things is yeah. really valuable. Yeah. Um, there's much less of it than you think. Yeah. And I think... But, but it's also about anyone making it. Yeah. It's about enabling anyone <laughs> to make. Yeah. Which, it, yeah. Which, again, is why Slumlo is so brilliant, because you can just rock up and use their stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, without sitting a test. Yeah. Um yeah, so so maybe there's something about just the access, the permeability of the yeah. building. Yeah. Por- the porousness. I'm stealing that word from Rachel Briscoe because she talks about it a lot. But it's a great word. Yeah. Um, and, and the value we then put on the work that those people make. Yeah. We've got to see it through. Yeah. I think there's a danger. We kind of go, come in and make all your stuff. Mm. That's lovely. We'll let anyone make. And then it's we go, but this is the proper theatre. So we have to really challenge the value that we put on things. So, right, I entirely and completely agree yeah. with you while simultaneously yeah. worrying about that. Yeah. Um, because, because I think that we absolutely have to um, uh, make permeable mm-hmm. the line between professional and participatory. Let's not worry yeah. about this word just now. Um, and I think I'm, I'm really into especially the movements around like fun palaces the sense of everyone an artist and 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 artistic practice and and just art being a thing that a human being is what you do yeah we should call more things art yes. than we do right it doesn't have to happen in a special place so this is all yeah. true let's put yeah. it in a big true pile and then over here i want to look at the stuff that is so beyond an ordinary person's technical reach that is sublime and that is elevating and that is wonderful and I want both of those things to exist and I want and I want access for, uh, what was it the democratisation of enjoyment (laughs) of culture to go right across those things but I think just right now we're not very good at holding both those things to be true and 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 that sublime genius yeah. that you know that spark yeah. that that is wonderful mm-hmm. and as valuable as, yeah. as 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 anybody's spark yeah. actually as a slightly yeah. less genius spark, yeah, yeah, yeah. spark so i don't know how to talk I about think, those things in the yeah. same world uh well help me uh, yeah 
I suppose, first of all, I'd say I want more of those people to be able to do that. Right, so, you, so we're, pointing at, <laughs> yeah. we're pointing at the everyone and artist pile. Yeah. We want more of those people to, 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 be, be, sub, to be able yeah. to be sublime. Yeah. yeah, and we need to do more to enable that process. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a static thing, yeah. you know, there are opportunities. I don't know what the answer is, but I completely accept that challenge of how we make sense of both of those things. Mm. We don't do it in the arts, we can't do it in the arts, we wrestle with it all the time, but sport does it brilliantly. Yeah. So somehow we've got to look at how sport does it and go, why can't we do that in the arts? Yeah, and you know, it's really interesting because you have to be amateur to compete in the Olympics. Yeah. Like, like yeah, which is always a, a bit of a oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I think when you look at sport, they're so good at supporting the people that are really talented and really mm-hmm. exceptional and have something that that element of genius in a sporting mm-hmm. sense. But at the same time, they they gather up everyone else and go. Yeah. Everyone can play sport. Yeah. Come and kick a ball around on a Sunday morning, and and you can take it at any level of seriousness. Like we could go and kick a ball around out there now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like that would be really funny. I think it would be fun, <laughs> yeah. and, and that would be fine. Yeah. And then, and it would know, still be we would still be playing football or whatever. Yeah, ball we were kicking. Exactly. Rugby, and and no one would think that was odd. Well, they might. Think <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe they would. Maybe but just, I mean, yeah. sport does it really well. It manages yeah. to support the kind of that horrible gifted and talented phrase. They manage to support gifted and talented, and yet sport is so inclusive. Yeah, people may argue with that, but I think it is more inclusive. Uh, yeah, why? I don't know. I'm trying to work it because out. because because think about how like thinking about my me as a kid and my experience as a kid in. Uh, in Wolverhampton, mm-hmm. in a town not too dissimilar from Stockton, yeah. um, and everybody, every kid I knew, every girl I knew, and some of the boys, yeah. um, d- did dancing or singing or gymnastics or I'm counting gymnastics as like yeah, a bit of yeah, a dancey yeah. thing, or um, played instruments or did uh, like painted or drew or like uh, there was a, a massive democratic and pervasive practice of art um and and that was true mm-hmm. um but then lots of other things were true as well like i was the only person in my there were a lot of people way more interested in art and talented mm-hmm. at art than mm-hmm. i was in my school class yeah. I was the only person that was allowed to pursue it like it might be my career. Interesting. And um, and one of my because because my my dad my dad is my dad's an artist and he one of the things he does he did was teach design, um, and he ran a a come and design shit night yeah. for for the parents of my school, and one of the parents while I was round this particular girl's house he he sold cars. And he said, I'm not going to go and spend my afternoon playing with cards. I'm a grown man. Grown men don't play with card and scissors. And that was really interesting because those cards that he was selling were created through that design process, through a design process. So all of that mm. moshed up. And I think there's something about 
capital something about capitalism yeah because there are I think there are probably more really well paid sports people yes or even just average people than there are averagely paid artists like I feel like the vast majority of artists are below average Yeah. yeah on the income scale and so there's something about how we because we live for better or worse in a capitalist market economy value equals money Mm -hmm. so maybe in order to in order to be more inclusive as an industry we have to make it yeah um, there has to be a a valuable payback to your time yeah because because I'm just going to put my Marxist hat on um, because we're all we are all cogs in the uber capitalist machine yeah. and and we must be the best cog we can mm-hmm. be to run that machine and because art isn't an efficient output yeah let's not build those cogs and all of that isn't necessarily conscious no. but is sports so do we value sport because it makes us healthy but watching sport doesn't make us we healthy. don't value sport because it makes us healthy that's Yes. Yeah. We value sport because it makes you adrenaline pound, either when you're playing it yeah. or when you're watching it. Yeah. It's about it's about like competition and tribalism yeah. and like I that I feel like that's that's way back to hunter gatherer yeah. brain. It's chasing this chasing down the mammoth. But is it because we place that value on it that it manages to do what we were talking about? That it manages to mm. support the really talented but also include people at any level as watchers or take yeah, yeah, yeah. because right, so, so this is interesting because we're talking because there are two ways to talk about mm. it aren't there there's the way that sport as, a, as an mm. industry as an ecology is better at engaging these people and the theatre is not so good or the arts mm. are not so good at engaging these people but actually there's a maybe we're looking at it the wrong way maybe it isn't about small small uh, miniature ecologies within the wider machine being better. Maybe it's about enabling the people yeah. at the bottom, yeah. like in the you know this grassroots thing, to get involved. Yeah. Because as soon as it's it's top down, it's like you should be doing this. Yeah. We're back to should, and which is just bad. Which is bad. Yeah. And that's and that's where that's that is where art come comes from. Yes. Like I've never heard. I'm like I'm sure this happens all the time, and I'm being a dick, right? But it's rare to hear someone go, "Oh, you'll really enjoy that." Yeah. Go on. Well, it's interesting because I, I was challenging that yesterday, talking yeah. to a company when they were talking about how much fun their show was, and yeah. I said, "And does that come across in your marketing materials?" <laughs> Do you say it's funny? Yeah, because actually people don't like saying it's funny because um, they're scared, you know, mm. they're setting expectations or it's not worthy. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think we fundamentally forget to say that that experiencing culture is fun. Yeah, because we don't ever see, you don't ever see, like, marketing copy or um, stuff to bring people in that goes, this is really funny or scary, it's going to make you cry, it's going to make you feel stuff. We don't yeah, say we that. We don't say that at all. We talk about the well, brain stuff. We don't feel I mean, we do. <laughs> I've been we feeling a lot since don't. that bloody referendum. I'll tell I'm you. sure, but we pretend um, we don't. We pretend we don't. But other, you know, the Americans don't necessarily do it either, and no. they feel all over the place. Yeah. So I think part of the reason for that, and this is something that we've been thinking about quite a lot recently, is the particular part of the cultural sector that we work in is subsidised, mm. and there is a psychological. Um, 
a kind of responsibility to justify the subsidy. It has to be valuable to the nation. Yeah. So I can't say, come and watch this show, it's brilliant, you're going to have such fun. I have to say, come watch this show, it's really good. It will do this, that and the other for you, or for the world. But we can, it's just about who you're talking to. Of course. We're just rubbish at it. We're just really fundamentally <laughs> bad at it. We are. Yeah, so it is our fault, all right. Constantly <laughs> trying to talk about how how good it is in a craft sense. You know, it's exquisite. Like, I don't care you know. how well that banana that no. banana cake is, is sliced. No. I don't care. I don't care how well it's baked. I want it to be delicious. Yeah, exactly. And that's the bit that we want to know, yeah. we want to feel. Yeah. And we, so we just talk about it badly. And that goes all the way back to when we were talking earlier about we're not investing in developing people that can sell this stuff mm. and I'm not talking about marketing problems I've said marketing is probably something completely different yeah we're not we're not investing in that and we need to because we're not getting it right no and it, but it has to be everybody yeah like every single yeah. person I know has to know how to yeah do that yeah that's going to be my legacy <laughs> okay I'm going to change the way that people sell culture. Let's can we not use sell? Okay, yes, that's a bad word. Just just because I've got my Marxist hat on, yeah. so like invite. Invite. I love the word invite. We talk about inviting audiences a lot. Share. Share? Yeah. That's nice. Change the way people share culture. Yeah. But it is about how we talk about it and how we present it to people, how we invite people in to share it. Yeah. I don't feel particularly invited to sport. Do you not? <laughs> no. no. Like I am to sport. You know yeah. you know there's that fable of like someone coming along to the RSC in their jeans and t shirts and, and broad accent and being yeah. tutted at. Yeah. I am that to sport. How interesting. I turn up in my Wrong clothes and wrong shoes, and I give up after three meters. To play or to watch? Certainly to play. Yeah. And I don't understand. What, I don't really understand watching. Mm. Want to do it? That's interesting. I don't always understand watching theatre either. <laughs> no, no. It's really, yeah. I want to do it. Or you know the things that I enjoy about. I don't really enjoy watching sport, but they're they're mostly aesthetic, like. Mm the shorts on rugby players you know yeah. so it's not I, I have no in, I have, I just can't I just can't yeah. it's funny isn't it yeah because I watch a lot of sport which yeah. usually surprises people yeah um, and I I would say I got into watching sport from enjoying the the collective experience, the shared experience. Ah, okay. So didn't really know anything about what was going on on the pitch, didn't mm. know the rules, um, but just enjoyed that collective experience, mm-hmm. um, which is not a, you would expect someone that likes theatre. Ah, so, to... Okay, so, right, so, for example, I had a friend who took me to Wimbledon, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed drinking pims and, yeah. and like, chatting and yeah. trying to understand what was happening. That was good. Yeah. So that's how I got into sport, is I went to some live football matches and went, this is amazing. 30, 40,000 people yeah. all doing the same thing, all standing up at the same time. Literally, this is my experience of watching yeah. football when I first started. All sitting down at the same time. <laughs> this is amazing, you know. Who gives the signal? How yeah. do they know? <laughs> oh, it's kind of those yeah. sort of questions. Um, yeah. 
one of my favourite moments is a minute silence, which obviously is very sad for the person that we're commemorating, but we all standing do it together. in the stadium of, you know, mm. tens of thousands of people, I think the biggest I've been in had about 90,000 people, I was thinking, please let there be a minute silence, which is really awful, obviously, but because there was something amazing mm. about being in a group of people that big when everyone observes it. Mm. It's the, one of the most magical things ever. Um, so that's how I got into sport. Obviously, I've then developed an appreciation of you know a number of different sports and like watching them and understand the the craft of them and the skill and but that's where it started so when you trace that path you kind of go oh yeah it's like sitting in a theater it's like those magic moments when the lights go down or you know someone starts something and you you get that kind of feel collective experience I feel like I have to stop asking questions now. <laughs> um, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been great. Thank it's been really much. interesting. I don't think we actually talked about legacy that much, but it was interesting. It doesn't matter. Okay. It doesn't matter. Right. It was interesting, and that's what I care about. And it's dinner time. And it's dinner time. Yes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.